Hey everybody, it's Charlie Epstein here at Killing Retirement, and I just want to welcome you to this podcast. This is the show that breaks down that old paradigm of retirement. You know, we've got this view somehow in America that you work to 62 or 65 and 67, and then, oh, life turns out. And so what we're really about here at Killing Retirement is replacing that paradigm with really helping you to take a look at your life and start to ask questions about, are you really creating a life worth living? Are you really doing what you're passionate about, what your joy is and your love and what you really want to be spending your time doing? And I always tell people that a child born today could live to 120. I mean, based on where science is headed. And so what's that boy or girl going to do when they turn 65, play golf for the next 55 years? So I don't really think that's what everybody is looking for. So here at Killing Retirement, we're really about supporting you and living the best life possible and being fully engaged in things that you're most passionate about. And the real trick then, because people always ask me this, you know, I've been in the financial services world for 35 years working with clients. They say, yeah, but Charlie, how do I get paid to do what I love? How do I make that happen? Well, the first thing I think you have to completely throw out the old rule book about what you're supposed to be doing. And I think you've seen that with some of the people that we've talked to who pursued one career, found out they weren't happy and were willing to give it up and pursue what they were passionate about. So today I am extremely thrilled with the great guest that we have for you, the host of Tiny House Nation, the show that really captures this new trend towards changing your priorities and you know, focusing on not only what you want to do, but does the environment you're creating around yourself, does the living space that you're creating around yourself, does it really support who you are and what you're up to? And how functional are you and that space in making the impact you want to make in the world? So Zach Giffen, who's the host of Tiny House Nation, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Charlie. I really, really appreciate it. Now, just for our listeners, I think so. You just told me you're in Montana right now near Big Sky, and I think you're filming the show, right? Yeah, I'm actually filming just kind of a bounce back where we're visiting a family that we built a house for last summer. And now it's kind of a good example of really what you're talking about because we built a home for a family of five in Georgia. And the father of the family really, I mean, he had built his own house. He was kind of crafting this dream, which was the typical American dream of build your own house, you know, get the 30-year mortgage, work a steady job, and kind of raise his children in that fashion. And what he really found was that he actually didn't have any time for his kids, and it was a real problem for him. He didn't actually have any time to spend with the people that he loved, and you know, in that process, it became really a pretty big issue for him, and he felt very trapped into that scenario. Wow. And so what they did was they actually sold their house and bought a tiny house and actually moved it to Big Sky, Montana which is a massive is undertaking for a family like that, especially when he didn't have a place to live and he didn't actually have a job. And they just knew that the position that they were in was not what they wanted to be doing with their lives. And so they had to make some drastic kind of changes to kind of reposition. Yeah. So the thing we were talking about is those folks that you just shared that you're out here building this house. I mean, what is it that you've seen that either propels people to this really breakthrough decision in their life to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, what is it you've learned 
and it could be from yourself because obviously, you know, you were in the pursuit. I mean, I love the song in your film, Live in Tiny, A Quest for Powder. Everybody, by the way, you need to watch Live in Tiny, A Quest for Powder. And the opening song, What I Got is a Big-Ass Dream. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that it's pretty apparent to most people in terms of they're pretty sold on the idea that you need to live your life and enjoy the time that you have and enjoy the time that you have with the people that you love. And that when it really comes down to it, that time that you get to spend on you, on your family, and with those kind of priorities is the is actually the time in life that's the most important to you. And I think that's not a big debate about that within life. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of people kind of fall into these traps where, especially in the economic side of it, where they're trying to make this life happen the way they think it needs to happen. And they end up running out of time for those really important things, like spending their time with their children and spending time for themselves. And, you know, they end up living in the office and the pursuit of kind of the material possession that people are kind of expected to have to fulfill the American dream, a lot of time leaves people working their entire lives. And I think that a lot of times people will look back and kind of think, I'd rather have spent that pursuing the things that I actually enjoy doing. And I feel now like I've kind of missed out on the most important times I could have spent with my family. And I provided them a big house, but I didn't actually get to enjoy it with them. Or I didn't live there with them, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, I think Taylor like, was absolutely in that place where he had three children and they were young and he was doing everything that he thought he had to do to be the best father possible in terms of providing everything. But the thing that he recognized that he wasn't providing was his own time. Yeah. It's um, that classic line on the tombstone, dad was always missing. Yeah. So, and he was, but he decided that it was really the economics of what his situation that was requiring him to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think that a lot of times people that are interested in tiny houses, what it really is for them is looking at, okay, well, I need to free up my time, you know, and we work ourselves into a position where the expenses in our life are basically dictating that we have to work every single moment of our week in order to pay for that. Mm -hmm. And so there's two ways that you can go about freeing up your time, which is for one, to make more money, to get a better paycheck so that you can then afford the things that are mandatory for your existence and still have some leftover time. But for a lot of people, the idea that I'm just going to get a raise is not actually a reality. You know, the idea that I'm just going to find a way to start making more money so that I can actually ease up my scenario isn't actually there. There's no opportunity. And so the other process is, hey, maybe I can downsize the demands on my finances, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think downsizing the space of your house or the size of your house, it's a good place to start. It's a powerful place to start. So for our listeners who don't know you, how did you come to this? I mean, I read a lot about your background, but I want to share you with our listeners. How did you come to this place in your life well, I was pursuing a dream, basically, to make somewhat of a living from doing the thing that I love to do the most in the world, which was skiing. And I had a talent from an early age that was recognized. But even as a very talented person, to me, the only way I could make it happen was to dedicate everything I had. Yep. Excuse me, the noise. There's a little... That's fine. 
Okay. No, no, that was a good place. We have. Uh, you know what? I love this because uh, this is your life. I love this. <laughs> this is the best. Good. All right. Well, that's you know awesome. why. So, Zach, let go yeah. of all the. You know what I mean? Listen, life is messy. I'm an actor by background. It doesn't get any messier than when you're being an actor, you know? Okay. So, this is messy. This is life. And it's a good metaphor for what we're talking about with our listeners, which is, you know what? It isn't going to look a particular way if you keep hanging on to, like you just said, I got to make the paycheck and then I got to make another paycheck and then I got to pay the mortgage and I got, you know, where's the messy? Messy is where it happens. (laughs) Well, okay. Let me break it down though real quick, which is that I was basically in this place where I knew that I had to dedicate everything I had, mostly a lot of time towards training and skiing and just pushing myself in terms of both like my abilities as well as just getting recognized. It's yeah. a pretty full-time job. And I think any time that you're actually pursuing something that you really, really is your dream to accomplish, in order to get there, it's going to feel like you have to give 110%. And so in the process of pursuing your dreams, you kind of run into these choices. It's like, okay, do I take this job that will support me in a certain fashion, even though I know it's going to take away from my ability to pursue the thing that I love? Or... Is there a way that I can set up my life where my needs are a lot less so that I'm not forced in the position where I have to make a certain income in order to survive and be happy? Right. And I think that what that process was for me was definitely just looking at the cheapest way that I could possibly exist. And that kind of turned into a lot of different things. I was you know, sharing rooms with my brother in little rental houses that was – you know sleeping on the couches of friends' houses. That was also buying an RV when I first moved to Washington that I lived in. And then it was also this like process of exploring what my different options for kind of living in a very inexpensive manner so that I could actually free up my time during the wintertime to actually push into it, into the thing that I was trying to pursue. So basically, I sacrificed a lot of things that a lot of people would look at as mandatories for their happiness. But the thing that made me happy was that I was able to pursue the thing that I was loving. So for me, I really did that in my life. I really pushed in this direction and I had this remarkable payoff. I had this remarkable delayed gratification where I kind of rearranged my life to make all this work and lived in this position where I had to pursue it for a decade and then finally started seeing some compensation for the effort. And then eventually, I mean, it went way beyond, I'm going to wait for this car to move out of the spot. But basically I was able to achieve the dream of becoming a professional skier and actually getting paid to go out and ski these beautiful places in Uh amazing snow conditions. And then you know what the crazy thing happened was that my dream went so much farther than I ever expected it to. You couldn't even see that, right? You could not see where you are today from where you were before, right? Well, okay, the television show has not never been a dream of mine. So this is something that just right. happened randomly. But the professional skiing thing is something that I had been dreaming on since I was about six yep. or like 10, you know, like really putting myself into it. And so it didn't happen really. I wasn't getting paid until about 29. So if you can imagine trying to push and push and push and dream and dream and dream for almost 20 years before actually something really happening and then having that payoff turn into something that took you way further than you ever expected. So I was a 
economics major who lived in the theater when I went to college. My mother was an opera singer, and my grandfather was a musician, concertmaster, racing, musical. So like you, I had a passion for, my passion was acting. Sure. And I always dreamed to become a professional actor. I went into the financial business, but eight years into building my financial business, I said to myself, you know, I bet I could take the summers off mm -hmm. and go do summer theater as an actor. And I auditioned to this open call. I got one offer. I'm 31 years old. <laughs> And the State Shakespearean Theater in Monmouth, Maine, Dick Sewell is going to pay me $50 a week to be an intern. <laughs> but the good news, Zach, is they were going to feed me and give me some place to live. You know, if you feed an actor, yep. we'll go anywhere. <laughs> and the average age of an intern is 18 or 19. So picture this 31-year-old guy. And my schedule for that three months was I would work in my business Monday from 4 in the morning to 11 at night, you know. And then Tuesday morning, I'd drive five hours to Maine, and I'd be there for six days. We're doing Shakespeare in repertory. So every week, you're putting up a different show. And I'm working 20 hours a day, and I'm loving it. But at the end of that year, when I look back on the year, so I'd only really worked nine months in my business, and I made $50,000 more working nine months than I did working 12 months. Wow. And I said, well, that's kind of cool. I should do that again. <laughs> So I did. I got rehired to you know work up there for a month. Then a theater in, in New York City I auditioned for. And we went out to Block Island, Rhode Island, and did theater. But so the short version of this is: for twelve years, I would take three to five months a year off from my financial business to pursue my passion as an actor. I, I got my union card. I did stand up. I did improv. I had a commercial agent, and every year I took more time off. I made more money. Wow! And you said something. About as I was listening to you talking about you know this pursuit, I said to myself, the paycheck. You know, I wrote this book, Paychecks for Life. Your paycheck was your pursuit and passion for what you love. You were getting paid every day, not in dollars and cents, but in passion, right? Joy, all of that. Absolutely, and it, and it absolutely. Fueling you, and there's such a lesson in that. You know, I read about where you said. I'll just read this. Skiing has been kind of a selfish endeavor where I sacrifice everything in my life, including relationships with lovers, friends, and family to indulge in the satisfaction of something called accomplishment. But then it's how you took that that I think is so remarkable. Well, I think what I meant by that was that skiing had kind of turned into this project that was a little beyond just, I want to carve out this space in my life where I actually can make sure that this is part of it. It was more of, hey, I have an opportunity and I don't know how big it really is, but I want to be able to look back later on in my life and feel like, hey, I gave it everything I got. You know, I don't need to necessarily achieve some kind of defined goal, but I do want to look back and say, you know what? At least I can't look at some moment where I said, ah, I probably shouldn't. It's too risky or, you know, it's going to be too much work or I don't think it will happen. So I better not try. At least I went out there and tried, and I think looking back, that leaves me with a big sense of satisfaction of knowing that I didn't give up, and I actually saw it through to the point where it felt like it turned into a real success. And it doesn't matter what that definition, because you can always need a more accomplishment to feel accomplished, right? Yeah, right. But sometimes That's it's good to just be able to allow yourself to feel satisfied with where you've gone and what you've achieved, and then be okay with it, you know, and allow for the world to provide more opportunities, but don't necessarily 
be constantly looking for the bigger and bigger achievement. But when it really comes down to it, it's about kind of just knowing that, you know, I don't have a whole lot of regrets. I can't look back and think, oh man, I should have tried harder there. I should have risked more. Yeah. You know, if anything, I look back and think, wow, I'm really glad that like I never got hurt. I'm really glad that I pulled back enough that I was able to still engage in what I love, but I'm not dead from it, you know? Yeah, but I think you're defining something I would call, uh, it just hit me, a new currency of living. Like if we could divide, because you know what you just said, it's being satisfied, not in what you just did, but how about in the moment, right? Because when you're skiing, if you're not like in the moment, <laughs> you're, you're in the tree. And, yeah. in act, and in acting, you know, I studied something called the Miser Method, and it's all about living truthfully in imaginary circumstances, moment to moment. And I can remember I'd be backstage you know, ready to go on. And all the other actors around me were true starving actors. Yep. And I've already got a six figure income and a business back home. And I would donate my pay back to the theater Uh and I would be giggling. I'd be giggling like they're paying me to walk out on stage (laughs) and do what I love. So, you know, this new currency of living for what inspires you and just motivates you, but is so great. But I think what you're really talking about is a shifting of priorities, right? And focusing on what's really important to people. And also a a shift of looking at how to achieve that. Because I think we get caught into this idea that like, if we want to achieve our goals, the only way to do it is to get the big mortgage, like more credit card debt. Exactly. Exactly. Be seen as successful in the, you know, the way you're supposed to be seen, right? Yeah. And and I think the tiny house mentality, it's so much beyond just people living in small homes because it really is – the movement is more basically a withdrawal from the idea that I'm going to like just make more money so I can achieve what I want. And it's this kind of of re-under – or it's a new understanding that maybe I can just take away some of the demands on my life as opposed to – just increasing what I'm able to handle. It's like I can look at what I really need for happiness and strip away the excess that I have to pay for. And I think that that's the economics, right? And with tiny houses, there's definitely the economics are a big piece of it, but it is very much as much what I call it like a spiritual thing too, because it's about what you're talking about, which is just living a life that actually makes you feel fulfilled and happy and living in a way that allows you to have you know, time with your family. So the economics are maybe the trap. And then the spirituality in my mind is kind of the goal of understanding that, you know, our time on this planet in this lifetime are very important to us and we need to enjoy it and we don't get a second chance. Well, I think that the idea that we've been sold on in terms of the American dream has been, people are just not really buying it anymore in terms of that, what you do is you go and you get an education and then you get a job and then you work up in the company and then you have some kind of security blanket in terms of a retirement package, a 401k. And I think people are just not really buying it anymore. They don't feel like that's actually going to be a real option. And I think in that, since the ultimate payoff of that dream, which is these glory years of your retirement where you get to enjoy the rest of your life, we're not actually looking at that as 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 much of a actual potential. That brings into the question, well, what is it that I'm doing this for? If I'm going to have to work the rest of my life no matter what, 
shouldn't I be starting to look at how I can enjoy that process? Yeah. But also there's a point where you went from being the person pursuing your own passion, right? Yeah. And setting up your environment to support that to now, it seems to me, and we haven't talked about this, and I'd like to get to this before we wrap up, somebody who's looking at their life having impact on others. And you talk about you know, topics the world needs to address, conversations about broader subjects like sustainability, what makes you happy, or what really matters, how do you uh, start conversations that influence people beyond the norm. So let's talk a little bit about when did that kind of shift? And, and I think it really goes to, in your movie, the statement about you were listening to your hearts much more than your heads. But how now are you, do you see yourself in the world of impacting people and really this global world that we're in? Well, I think that's a very, very good question. The reason that I feel that I am an authentic advocate for tiny houses and just kind of the mentality of minimalism and the reprioritizing of your dreams is because that's the exact process that I used to be able to afford to follow my dreams. And then I had this amazingly gratifying experience where it took maybe a decade of trying, but I actually had this real compensating moment where everything that I had worked for had absolutely paid itself off. And it's an experience that is like really profound in terms of, yeah, it's just very gratifying. And it's the type of experience that lasts with you your entire lifetime. And so the reason that I'm such a strong advocate is because I stripped away the needs on my life so that I could pursue my dream and it worked. And it was been super gratifying. And I know that, you know, it worked for me to use a tiny house so that I didn't have to basically fall into the trap of doing a nine to five job that lasted all year long so that I could pursue that. And so that's why I talk about tiny houses as a tool to pursue your dreams, a tool to remove yourself from the trap that you found yourself in. And because that's what it was for me. And I actually had a very crazy experience that actually turned into something that I'm very proud of and makes me feel very proud of myself. And I believe that everybody deserves that type of experience. That is so, and you should be proud. And you know, I just love, you know, just, and I think our listeners can hear it. I mean, it just oozes from your voice. You know, it's your conversation is so rich because it's so real. And it's what you said about being authentic. You know, when you live it every day, it's part of just who you are. And the fact that you have this forum now to share this conversation on such a larger scale has got to be, I like what you just said about a decade of trying in an amazing compensating moment. Like now every moment in your life, I guess must feel like compensates for what you sacrifice to be who you are, where you are right now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, to me, I feel like the skiing thing was this amazing personal reimbursement for my dedication and my effort on that. And I feel like working on the television show is just it's a completely different opportunity for satisfaction. It's, it's the skiing was more of a personal goal that I had went down for myself and it didn't benefit anybody but me. And I feel like the tiny house television show is a different type of opportunity because it's the world providing me with an opportunity to find a different type of satisfaction is the type of satisfaction that happens when you help other people. So I've already gone through a really profound moment where I achieved things for myself. And I think that quote that you read was really me just reflecting on how I actually had to put a lot of other things in my life to the side. 
And really, it was a very selfish type of endeavor because it was not helping anybody but myself. It was putting me at risk, which is also jeopardizing, you know, my family, because if I die, they'll never be the same. And so it was a selfish thing. And now the tiny house, it's really gratifying to me because it really feels like I'm, it's the world giving me an opportunity to give back and basically use my own history and my own story as an example of why this actually has a place in our world. Because for me, what happened was I had been in a long series of basically downsized living environments. And honestly, to me, when I moved into a tiny house, it wasn't about downsizing at all. It was a step up, right? It was a step (laughs) into luxury. It was, you know, you have to, you have to (laughs) contrast that with, I wasn't exactly homeless, but I did live in my van. And so I did park it down by the river and there's stigma that goes with that. And, you know, when I moved into a tiny house, it might've been small, but I built it myself, you know, and it had the kind of quality that I expect out of a home because I've been a carpenter a long time. And so, you know, it had all these elements that actually led into my life. But the biggest one being that it was a space I was proud of, because even though the van kind of worked and the RV kind of worked and living, you know, sharing rooms and sleeping on couches, that works. It doesn't leave you feeling very proud, you know? Yeah. And so I think that a tiny house is this amazing kind of tool where it's like you can downsize your expenses, but you don't have to give up those elements that make you feel proud about your living scenario. Do you know the one of the animals that lived the longest? Tortoise. You got it. Isn't that interesting? I just had this picture of you at 500 years old with your tiny house. I better as, stop drinking beer if that's going to be the case. As, well, I'll have to turn you – I'm interviewing uh, the head of human longevity – the head of genomics next month at Human Longevity, Peter Diamandis's Human Longevity Company, Peter Diamandis from the X Prize. But I just had this picture of, you know, the sage, you know, telling those stories at 500. So I need to ask you, when is the book not about how to build a tiny house, but you've got these lessons to yeah. teach? When are you going to have the book? You know, I've been saying that the book's not ready to be written. I'm not ready to kind of reflect on my life like that. Oh, I don't mean the bio. I don't mean the bio. Like the life lesson book. I mean, I don't think that you should be taking life lessons from a 36-year-old, honestly. Son. Like that's the the place for like, like you're talking about old sages, you know, that. But you've already lived 200 years. You have done what my clients who are in their 70s can't even think about. Yeah. Well, I've risked a huge Uh, amount. You have. So I'm just going to leave you put it out there for a long time. I've basically went through this life with no safety net for a long time. I was an extreme skier with no health insurance. I mean, if that explains. It does. (laughs) But I'm going to leave you with that seed in your brain because don't wait. You know, my first book took me three and a half years, two ghostwriters and more money. Don't write. Write what you're learning right now. The world, more people need this and you have a forum so that's just my request of you as we wrap up, because I got to get you back to building and I've got to get on a webinar in seven minutes. They're waving at me. I am just <laughs> so right. thrilled. So everybody, our listeners, Zach, how can they find you? Where do we go to find you and connect with what you're doing? Hello? Zach? You didn't just hang up on me, did you? 
Zach? No, he's gone. Well, all right, everybody. Well, I think Zach actually meant I had to run and he left to go build. So so uh, we want to thank Zach. It's been a great conversation. And I think you're just going to be amazed at the uh, plethora of information here about how to redesign your life. I mean, a decade of trying for a compensating moment, everything I worked for finally paid off. And I love what Zach said about being an authentic advocate for tiny houses, but more importantly, what tiny houses is all about. So you can get Zach on Tiny House Nation. You can go to tinyhousenation.com. And remember, you can go to my webpage, killingretirement.com, and click on the RSS feed to get our Killing Retirement podcast delivered to you each month. And of course, you can always reach out to me at C.D. Epstein at the 401k coach for answers about how we can help you kill retirement. I'm Charlie Epstein. I'm the man in America killing retirement. This has been awesome. 